welcome to Sermon Seasonings, the podcast of Christchurch Gladesville, where we look in more depth at the passages that we looked at on Sunday. I'm David Mears. And I'm Mandy Curley. On Sunday, we continued our Genesis series and we dug into Genesis chapter 17. We looked again at God's covenants with his people. We zoomed right in on chapter 7 and looked at the whole idea of circumcision, the sign of God's faithfulness to his promises and to his people. We saw that he's establishing an everlasting covenant and will bless his people. Thanks, Dave, for opening God's word for us. Pleasure, pleasure. I, th- I think the the uh, verse that's ingrained in my memory from chapter 17 is, uh, walk before me, I am the Lord Almighty, uh, walk before me and be blameless. I'm going to drilling that one. I feel mm. like it's a it's a nice little nugget of, of what it is to, to live in faith. Walk before me and be blameless. So that's what, that's what I've, I've burned into my head from, from chapter 17. So today, uh, what are we going to cover in the pod? Okay, well, I thought I might start by telling us what we're not going to cover. So <laughs> um, so first of all, you uh, if you've got your Bible studies, you'll notice that it finishes halfway through 18, the section. It starts at verse 16, chapter 16, goes through to verse eight, second half of verse 18, um, chapter 18. We're not going to do the chapter 18 bit. I'll just say a little bit about it. Chapter, the first half of chapter 18 is kind of a hinge passage between the uh, Ishmael and Sarah Hagar kind of incident, that circumcision stuff that we're dealing with today and on Sunday, and the, the next story, which is the great Sodom and Gomorrah mm. narrative. And, um, and the first half of chapter 18 has a foot on, in both stories. It closes off ours and it does that when it brings up uh, Sarah laughing, mm. just as... Uh, we were told in chapter 17 that, that um, Abraham laughed and then we get Sarah laughed and that also is when the men come and say to uh, Abraham that, that Sarah's going to have a child within a year and she goes, ha, 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 you're kidding yeah. me. And he said, you laughed and no, I didn't, no, no, and there's that bit. That, that really closes off our section but there's a whole lot in that passage that is opening up mm. what happens Next week. Yeah. So, spoiler alert, rather than deal with all of that now and kind of show us all of what's coming, yes. we're going to park it for now and we will come back to it next week. Okay. And so, while we're parking things, uh, the other thing was that we were going to do talk a little bit about covenants and particularly about how, what does that look like in a New Testament context under the New Covenant? What, what, um, what are the similarities and differences? What are the signs? All, all of that kind of thing. And, um, and as we were talking about it, we think it's actually a bit too big to do at the same time as doing the other thing that we're going to do. So we're going to reserve a, a slot a little bit later and we're going to have, like we often have in this, we'll have one that is a special on something that's brought up. We're going to have a covenants special a little bit later in um, this series on sermon seasoning. So for those of you who are waiting to hear a lot about covenants, um, we're parking that as well for a few weeks, but we're going to go to town on it as a, as a single podcast all on the whole, on the idea of covenants. So that's later on. So that's what we're not going to do, but yep. what we are going to cover today is we're going to dig mainly into chapter 16. Yes. So we, we're going to, um, we're going to deal with chapter 16 because it, it is something that often doesn't get dealt with in massive detail. It gets coupled with um, chapter seventeen, like we've done it in our Bible study series. But there is some. It is a a beautiful and moving story, and so we thought we'd spend the whole car whole podcast uh, looking at chapter sixteen, reflecting on it, and then thinking about where because it takes us to a couple of different places. Um, 
in application and when we think about what it means for us today as Christians than chapter 17 does. So we thought, well, let's let's give it its time in the sun because it didn't get much in the sermon. So that's what we're doing, chapter 16. So we're going to start by looking at chapter 16 in a couple of different sections. So chapter 16 from verses 1 to 3. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go, sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan ten years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. There's a strange marriage at points, the, the <laughs> marriage between Abraham and Sarah, or as they are still now, Abram and Sarah. I've got to do it for another week. I was looking mm-hmm. forward to being able to just call him Abraham now. But, soon, um, soon. Soon, soon. Because remember there was in chapter 12, that was the, the strange thing where Abraham said, pretend that you're my sister, we'll tell everyone your sister and it should all be right. And what ends up happening is, is that Pharaoh takes Sarah as a wife. And mm. so um, there's this awkward, but it's like there's, it's happening again, but it's on the other foot. It's like that awful, it's got the flavour of that awful movie from in the 90s or something, was it? Indecent Proposal or something, Demi Moore and and Michael Douglas and Ooh. something like that where they offers a million dollars to take his wife. But the different thing is is that it's Sarah, Sarai doing it. She's mm. the one who says, hey, why don't you take my maidservant? And, um, and so... We might go. That's a, that's a, a pretty strange thing for a, a wife to propose. Um, now there's, it's not as strange as we might think it to be. So it actually says that it was quite a common thing for um, a mistress to take their, particularly one that maybe didn't have children of her own. Uh, so rather than being childless, she could then give her maidservant to her husband and have some form of ownership or. Um, I guess, some sort of status in that relationship with the child that was born by the maidservant. Yes, that's right. Because what you've got here is is Sarah going, her Egyptian maidservant, in a sense, this is this is an indentured sort of slavery mm. kind of thing, so, so belongs to her and so she can't have children. So the logic is that if one who belongs to her has children, that child will become Sarah's. Yep. And so Sarah's, I'll get it right. Mm-hmm. But, but so Sarah says, so here's, this is quite an interesting way. In, if you're reading it literally, it says, and Sarah said to Abram, behold, Yahweh has restrained me from having children. Mm. So um, she's. I think that suggests she's aware of the promise that Abraham will have one who comes from his own body, but she's going. Well, he's she, he's restrained me. He's sovereign. He's mm. restraining me from having children. So I guess we should do this. And so she comes up with his proposal. But the, her language is quite telling. Perhaps I might be built from her. Is what mm. it literally. So it's not like perhaps you might have a son by her. She's going, perhaps I might be built mm. for her. So this son, through her maidservant, Sarai would con- considers is going to be her son. Her, yes. Okay, so it's it's she might be built up by her maidservant having a son. Now, the thing that does sort of say this is actually a slightly indecent proposal, though. Surrogacy or not, there is something in the language of these verses that suggests this was not a good thing to do. So um, let re- why don't you read verse 3 for us again? Yep, so in verse 3, um, so after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, 
Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. Now, remember how I mentioned Genesis 12 just a few moments Mm. ago and how there was that Pharaoh they saw and then they took and then, and then, you know, um, and then gave her to Pharaoh and then Pharaoh took, took yeah. her as a wife. So you got that language and we said, gee, doesn't that sound like this, uh, you know, Sarah is being treated like a bit of fruit. Yep. Um, well, it's the same set of words. Yep. It's actually exactly the same set of words as in Genesis, Genesis 3. 3. Yes. Um, so you had the woman um, took the fruit mm. and gave it to her husband. Yes. And so there's this... Like it's really striking the parallel there. You've got Eve and Sarah, Sarai. Mm. You've got them taking mm. and then giving it. Yes. And then what does Abram do? Well, yep. well kind of exactly what Adam, Adam did. Adam Adam was the one who had heard that this was not what, like mm. that this fruit was not to be eaten. Yes. And he stands silently by, doesn't say to his wife, hang on, don't do that, mm. um, let, let alone doesn't tell her not to do that, then when she gives it to him, he takes it and eats it himself and, you know, there we have the original fall. And here in this story we've got the – Abram is so passive here. He kind yes. of, you know, okay. All right, I'll have another wife then. And 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 it's – yeah, he, he's very, very passive in it. And so we've got another reminder here – that the the writer of Genesis is is tying together a lot of what he has already spoken about and bringing it back up again, mm. and so that very language is meant made, meant to make you go. There is some sort of temptation that's involved here. There's some sort of wrongness. It's to, it's meant to have that kind of like you, if you were playing, it's got those discordant strings in uh, the background yeah. to kind of <laughs> kind of say there's something wrong here. And the other thing as well is that why might you get that sense here because. Abram is going to be the beginning of a new humanity, mm. right? This is the line of God's people that is going to be the line of redemption. And so it's like you've got this new beginning and you've got mm. some of the same mistakes being repeated, repeated. which is yep. which is quite interesting. So let's now read verses 4 to 6. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, You are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she's pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. Now, there's a a little bit of a a word, a phrase that repeats a little bit here, and that is in her eyes. Mm. Um, So... Uh, uh, so Hagar is the first one to do this. Now, remember we, we looked at Lot and we went that Lot's eyes were not helpful mm. and, and were reading things wrong. Uh, and so that idea of, of man's eyes tend to look at the wrong things. Humanity's eyes look at the wrong things and yep. God's look at the right ones um, and shows us what are the right ones. So, so um, Hagar, when she notices that she's conceived – it's it, she despised her mistress in her eyes. Mm. So so her eyes look at her mistress and see someone less. Mm. So so the great Sarah, she sees her, she diminishes her in her eyes because ha ha, you can't have children. children. Now you can go, I've, yeah. What's that? Well, it's the whole thing. It's like well, and I've got a child, and you can't and have you children. Can't. And so that that 
idea that this is of ownership, actually that the slave is now going, yeah, am I really that low? I've been given to great Abram as a wife. Mm. And um, and now and I can have children, and you, my mistress, can't. And so there's this there's this tension here. Now, how did that express itself? We don't know, but it did express itself. Yeah. The way Hagar thought of Sarai, she didn't keep secret because Sarai goes, "This is your fault." Mm. So something was very obvious. Maybe there were some catty remarks or something nasty being said, or 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 inappropriate looks mm. that revealed contempt but her she kind of says my harm is upon you what this this damage is all your fault um which sounds like a bit harsh doesn't it like you go well what did she even says do like i mean abram just sarah was the one that gave her hate and she even says that she says i, I put my maid servant in your arms and um and as soon as she's worked out hang on she can get pregnant yeah and and then she gets this amazing, may the Lord judge between me and you. That's a big thing. Now, this is, again, Yahweh. So, it, again, a reveal that, that Sarai is a believer in mm. Yahweh and she's, I, I assume, a, a very knowledgeable about the promises and his sovereignty. And so she calls him to act as judge. This, mm. this says, I think it certainly says that this was a very, very raw nerve. Mm. And that this that that this is being her suggestion, her plan has proven to not work, and and to come back at her is is deeply deeply painful, and she's angry about it, and she wants vindication. Mm-hmm. That's a it's just an ugly situation. Yeah. It says straight away maybe the whole marrying two wives thing is not a good idea. Yeah, yeah, it's, they've certainly created a mess in this situation. That's right. And then so what does Abram do? It's not very classy. Um, Behold, your maidservant is in your hands. And that there's this interesting phrase there. It says, again, we're getting this in your eyes thing. And so it's do to her what is good in your eyes. Mm. So Hagar's eyes were, were not helping her. And this is an expression that's not going to look good for Hagar. What is good in Sarai's eyes turns out to be Sarai oppressing Hagar mm. and treating her cruelly. Yeah. So that seems to be what is good. Now here's a bit of a plant. This fra- same phrase, do what is good in your own eyes, ends up being on Lot's lips in Sodom when he says to the people of Sodom, here's my daughters, do what is good in your own eyes. Uh, it, it doesn't tend to... Um, preface a good action ever and of course if for those who've, who've, who've been coming to church for a while that phrase doing what is right or doing what is good in your own yeah. eyes is something that should be going bing 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 and say the book of judges yeah it was there were, israel had no king and everyone did what was right in their own eyes and what was right in their own eyes was never good yeah <laughs> so there's this big message about the way people see and and how our eyes often will um, will deceive us or or be a, a source of wrong and evil. And I think Jesus actually says something about that. You know, the the eyes are the window, in a Into sense. Song, and, yeah. and and if and if what goes in is dark, then how dark deep that darkness. So we continue on uh, from verse seven. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that was beside beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, 
Go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, You are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Bir Lahai Rai. It is still there between Kadesh and Bered. Okay, so Sarai, sorry, Hagar, I beg your pardon, she does the runner and um, she, she escapes the oppression of her mistress Sarai. Um, which must be bad. And, and again, picture this. She has conceived, so she knows she, she's a pregnant woman yep. and she's being mistreated. And I assume it's not just a few harsh words. I, I think it's probably reasonable to assume that there is beating and mm. this is this is serious oppression. And um, enough for her to go, I can't take this, I need to run. And so, so she flees. Now, there's another play on words here. So... This was all because of their eyes mm. um, and and seeing things wrongly, um, and there is a there is a pun here where where the word for spring is the same as the word for eye. Yeah. So so um, it's it's the, the same the same letters are involved, and yep. and so it it's like you you just you, it's just their way of of tracing a concept through yep. the whole story and tying it together around this idea of what yep. what yep. what is seen. And we see so much there because even the whole, like the angel of the Lord comes and he sees Hagar, mm. like so much so that addresses her by name. Yes. It's not just random pregnant woman. Yes. It's not, oh, I was just popping up to this well and what are you doing here? Just so happens to be that Yahweh was there. and Yeah. Um, yeah, no, that's right. So so uh, he finds her near this spring of water in the wilderness and and – and the and the term there is repeated spring i in i i kind of thing and um but but he does he notices who she is mm. he calls her by name and th- this says something this is why i think this this scene which is the longest scene in this chapter is is one that is quite moving now you can imagine if you were hagar your you have been bought by someone back when that incident happened yeah. down in egypt yeah, that's when they picked up these these men servants and maid servants from Pharaoh. When last time Sarah got traded, <laughs> and now Sarah's the one doing the trading. trading. And um and so this is where she came from. She's been traded like an object. Uh, she she gets traded to Abraham to say by by her her mistress, basically saying go use her and impregnate mm. her. Um, and that might be convention back at the time but it's still yeah it is what it is right yeah and uh, and then you're abused and you're mistreated and you run away i mean how small and alone and worthless would you feel if you were if you were hagar yeah and and so she's you if you're picturing it there's this lonely wilderness well and you think i i've run away i've got no future i'm pregnant i'm alone and Yahweh turns up. Yep. And he sees you 
and he calls you by name. By name. It's quite and moving. It is. And there's the there's the beauty in sort of the what he promises her there. Um and I think it's interesting because we very clearly uh in the sermon on Sunday saw that it is not through Ishmael that God intends to to fulfill his promises to Abram. Mm. Like that's not the way that God has chosen. But it's not that this son is nothing. No. No. Um, and you see that in here because the promises that are made here to Hagar echo the promises that have been made to, to Abram already. Yeah, read verse 10 again, yeah. I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. Yeah. I mean, we've heard that twice <laughs> given to Abram. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so there is that. And then even in the, like, the name um, Ishmael, mm. uh, which itself means... God hears. Yes. So um, if you're remembering the book of Samuel, Samuel and Ishmael are broadly the same name. So Ishmael means my God hears, and Samuel is the same letters, and it just says God heard, you yeah. know, God, God hears. So Shema El, Shema El. And, and, yeah. um, and, so, um, and so you've got this seeing and hearing and knowing God and who, who comes, but that language of greatly increasing and um, uh, the, this promise that was given to Abraham is given to this lonely slave girl out in the middle of nowhere. But it doesn't come without a challenge because um, Abram is still the guy and Ishmael still has a, a role. Yep. And so there's that confronting message from Yahweh in verse 9 where she said, I've fleed from the face of Sarai, my mistress. I'm I'm running away from her. And he actually says, uh, return to your mistress. Now, here's where the NIV sanitizes a bit and says, and submit to her. But it actually is using exactly the same word that that was used of how Sarai was treating her. So, you know, it was basically go back and be oppressed under her hand. You you need to go back and be there. but Yahweh is saying, I know you. Yeah. And I say you can go 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 back there, but I am with you. Um and and so I, I, I think I should say at this point that this is not some sort of biblical mandate that says if you're in an abusive relationship that you you need to go back to it. Mm. This is a very, very specific situation. And God promises to comfort her. And this is this mm. is Hagar wife of Abram because mm. she is his wife now. And so so Abram has this special place. And so she's taught, called to go back there, but she's reaffirmed that she will actually benefit from a, that greatness and she will become great herself. And um, and she'll give birth to a son and, um, and God is the one who says, or the angel of the Lord's is the one who says, um, you are to call him Ishmael. It's mm. not her deciding to go, God has heard me. It's him saying, remember when you call this son, again, like we were talking about on mm. Sunday with you can call him, he laughed. Yeah. Well, this one's a bit nicer. You can call him that my, your God, God hears and knows of your affliction, mm. even as he's calling you to step back into it. Um, but Ishmael's future doesn't look rosy. It's an interesting few descriptions. Yeah. And what sticks out there for you? I mean... I'm I'm not sure that I'd ever find it flattering to be called a wild donkey of a yes. 
man or woman. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, his hand. There's going to be real enmity and hostility here. You know, his hands against everyone. Everyone's hands against him. Mm. Um, there's going to be hostility towards all of his brothers. So we know that through him that there is going to be this prosperous and all these descendants. Mm. But this isn't going to come easily. It's going to come at a cost. Now this is actually. Um, important. This is setting up something that is going to be part of these of this Genesis account. So uh, let's talk about the nations. Yep. So uh, a lot of the you know when you're hearing a Bible reading on Sunday and you're hearing all of those words and you're kind of chuckling to yourself as people are trying to n- pronounce all the names of these nations and the Gergeshites and the Perizzites and all of those sorts of things. But there is actually distinctions between those nations. So we heard about last week that this that, that oh no actually when we looked at chapter thirteen that um, uh, the land would come to his descendants when the sins of the Amorites will have reached their full measure. That is the Amorites is another description of the Canaanites and as a way of saying that basically the people who are in the land until they get to the point where they deserve to be booted out, that's when you're going to get the land because I will do it and I will be just, and so it needs to be justice to remove them. But not all of the nations that you'll read about are the nations that are to be removed from the land. What we're going to hear over the next few chapters is the is the um, beginnings of some of those other nations. So the descendants of Ishmael are called the Ishmaelites, right? Yep. <laughs> um, then we're going to hear about uh, the descendants of Lot next week, so through his daughters, the Moabites and the Ammonites, who are descendants of Lot. Now, so what we're hearing is the Ishmaelites are, who's their father? Ishmael. Father is Ishmael, oh. Abram. Yeah. Okay, so the descendants of Abram. So so the Moabites, um, they're connected to Abram through Lot. Right. Um, same with the Ammonites. There, there's family connections. And, of course, when you get Jacob and Esau, and Jacob is the one that the promise goes through and Esau is the one that doesn't go through, Esau, another name for Esau is Edom, and so the Edomites. So basically the, you've got the nations that surround the promised land, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Edomites, um, and the Ishmaelites who, who tended to roam around in the, in the, in the Negev in the wilderness. They're, they are not the same as the Canaanites and they hang around and harass Israel, not because they didn't ever need to be evicted, but they have got this connection to Abram and that is perhaps one of the reasons why they stay around and they don't get annihilated like yeah. the Canaanites do. So there's just a, a little bit of a, you, you're going to, one of the things that these passages are going to do is going to give us the backstory to some of Israel's long-term neighbours. And this is the first of them, the Ishmaelites. Um, And so then, of course, um, the message of comfort has hit through. She's going to go back to Abram, but she has been reassured. And so uh, the repetition in the description there in verses 13 and 14 sort of um, uh, hits upon that. So the well, the spring Mm. that she's next to, um, she names after God. And, and the interesting thing is that, that she names Yahweh. Yahweh is, mm. is his name, but she gives him another a name. name. In so many of these other things, God is the one who gives other people their yeah. second name. Abram to Abraham, Sarai to Sarah, yeah. Jacob to Israel, etc. But but this one, Hagar says, I'm going to call you something different. Mm, yeah. And it's very personal, isn't it? Yeah. So, I mean, the, the well of the living one who sees me. 
Yeah. Um, you know, not just the one who sees, but the living one who mm. sees me. Um, there's a real personal mm. nature of that. And it's interesting because if she was wrong in what she was calling the Lord mm. there, he would have actually corrected her. Yes. But this is a name that he is willing to take on of himself. Yes. Yes, that's right. It's just got a real beauty to it. And, and the, the the living one sees me is is the you can you you're being communicated the depth of which this was a comfort mm. for Hagar in her aloneness in a wilderness. Um, it actually does make me. We're going to talk a bit more about this a, a little later, but it also makes me think of the sheep and the goats. Where, where, where Jesus says, because you were hungry, I was hungry and you fed me. Um, I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was in prison and you visited me. That that idea of um, God is the one who who has an attention to the lonely. And so mm. that's something that we're going to talk a little bit and reflect as we sort of close off. All right. So this wonderful thing, she, she names the well basically about the, how wonderful it was to be seen and recognised by God having been treated like you don't exist and you're just an object. Um, you've been treated special and you're given promises. Then she goes back. And so let's look at the last section there. And so the chapter concludes, So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore, Ish- bore him Ishmael. Okay, so how did the story begin? The well, very beginning was what? was Sarai had born Abram no children. Sarai had born Abram no children. She comes up with the scheme of Hagar so that if Hagar pops out a baby, her, this, her slave pops out a baby, she will be built. Mm. So it, mm. it was going to be Sarai's son. Yes, just through her owned Through slave. her own slave. But what we get by the end is we actually get... Abram has a son. Yes. So it's Abram's son, yep. not Sarai's. Both son. And, um, and not even Hagar's son. Yes. So she bores, bore for Abram a son. Abram called the name of his son whom Hagar bore for him. Mm. So you get this, uh, Hagar has born for Abram the son. And, you, and now in the storytelling, if you don't know what follows, you're going, this is it, right? This is the guy. You know, especially when you think the whole world, hang on, the descendants are going to be so much that you're not going to be able to count them. Yep, so the promise has been echoed. We're repeated that Hagar has born for Abram a son. Abram at last has a son. Oh. And so by the end of chapter 16, you think this is this is, this has been God's wonderful way of overcoming the barren wife problem for providing a son for Abram. Yep. But of course, as you know from Sunday, which is the next chapter, he's going, no, 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 no. Um, it's not going to happen that way. Not going to happen <laughs> that way. So that's Genesis chapter 16, a beautiful chapter. And one of the things I thought we'd do to, um, to finish off the podcast is to reflect upon what have we learned about God here? What sort of... Uh, God have we seen? Because remember, Genesis is introducing us to more than Abram, more than telling us the story of faith. We've only had 16 chapters revealing God to us. Mm. So as we think about Yahweh and the Lord, what character have we seen? Because I think what we actually do get introduced, Genesis 16, if you think about it, is the first big exposition of the compassion 
mm-hmm. of Yahweh, right? Yeah. So, so we, we've seen his grace previously when he um, uh, uh, clothes Ad, Adam and Eve with um, uh, provides clothing for them, even though they just sinned. When he delivers the the um, uh, Noah and his, so so you get those acts of grace along the way, but not necessarily a focused picture portrayal of God's compassion. And that's what we see here. How does God feel about the oppressed? It actually next week we're going to get a kind of messy story, but it also echoes this. Mm. It, it is an act of God's justice that is not just about right and wrong, but it's it's about vindicating those who are mistreated. So um this word of mistreatment is is what is going to be strong it comes up a few more times in the book of genesis and each time it comes up you see a picture of god's compassion at the same time so after hagar the next time is in genesis chapter 29 um so do you want to read that for us from verse there's, 32 there's another pregnancy yes leah became pregnant and gave who's birth. leah so Leah, wife of Jacob, wife, right. wife of Jacob but she was the unloved, right? Because Rachel was the one that Jacob wanted. Leah yep. was the one who was not as wanted. That Laban, his her her brother, had traded off, mm. and she is feeling, and she knows that she's number two in mm. this, and that she's the one that Jacob didn't really want. Yep. So again, just yep. put yourself in the shoes. So yep. so yep. So Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, It is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. Because I, I've, I've seen a son, mm. Reuben, and that, yep. that, that, that he's given me a son. And again, it's this God showing his compassion mm. on the mistreated. Yep. Yeah, All he's, right? he's yeah. seen her misery. He's seen her misery. Yep. Okay, um, chapter 31. Yep, so if the God of my father, the God of Abraham and the fear fear of of Isaac Isaac, had not been with me, you would surely have sent me away empty-handed. But God has seen my hardship and the toils of my hands, and last night he rebuked you. So this is the words of Jacob. Mm. So Jacob, Laban, the... The, the trickster who is tricking the trickster who is, yep. is Jacob, um, he he has been he's done all of this stuff to make his life difficult mm-hmm. and um, and a, Jacob's going the Lord's seen my hardship yep. that you have put me through and he is vindicating me yeah you get this is the kind of thing that the Lord does and then we get the last time it's mentioned that word for oppressed or mistreated in, is in chapter forty one. So the second son he named Ephraim and said, it is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. Okay, so whose lips are these on, do you think? Um, well, it's Joseph, isn't it? So so yeah. jo- Joseph, of course, who had been sell- sold by Ishmaelites <laughs> to <laughs> Egypt as, as a slave and had, had just undergone so much, when, when he has his second son, he goes, he, he names him after the fact that he remembers that God had seen his misery and had um, and had looked after him and has made him fruitful, yep. even though when he went down there he was a slave pulled out of a well. And so, again, you've got this idea of, a, of the compassionate God who is never ignorant of, um, of the lonely and the oppressed. 
that's the Lord as he is portrayed mm. in, in Genesis, amongst other things that yep. the Lord is portrayed as. And so that word then comes up very, very early in the book of Exodus. It mm. turns up in chapter 1 when it's described about the suffering of the Hebrew slaves. So yep. 400 years passes on, they've multiplied, but they're now being treated so harshly. And then, um, and then we read in chapter 3, Yes, so from verse 7, the Lord said, I've indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of the slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their sufferings. And then in verse 9, and now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. It's just those echoes again of like, you know, the language of the oppressing, this the sufferings of them, like that is what the Lord sees. Mm. He sees that that hardship that they are under and then he does something about it. And when the Lord parades him, his glory before Moses he, and declares his name, he is the Lord, the Lord, the gracious and compassionate, compassionate. one. And so um, and even when he lays down the law there, there's this um, that the word comes up a few times in the law of Moses to declare that you do not oppress the foreigner mm. Um, or, or, or the sojourner who is, with, who is within your, but the, the foreigner who comes into your country, it was in the law multiple times. Do not oppress them. You know, this is something is not something for you to do. So what we have is the 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 Lord Yahweh that Israel then worships. Yep. That knowledge of Him as the one who is compassionate, has an eye for the lonely and an eye for the for the oppressed, is something that. Um, it becomes a big theme that says God sees and God hears. So um, there's a, a wonderful thing that you may have heard is called the Aaronic blessing. It's in it's in the book of Numbers chapter six, and uh, and and look at the description of it. Yeah. So from verse twenty two, um, so the Lord said to Moses, "Tell Aaron and his sons, this is how you to bless the Israelites. Say to them." The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. So the great ironic blessing that you bless Israel with is, is to ask that God would look upon you. Mm. So that idea of God turning his face towards you and seeing you is to be a, a thing that is said to one another to bless one another. Mm. May God see you. It's, a, it's, it's exactly what... Uh, Hagar found so comforting by yeah. that well in the in the desert, uh, uh, which is which a well that is a spring that is comes from the word, word for I, um, and so then you get another one where later on in the life of Israel, so hundreds of years later in Psalm ninety four, you you read about a psalmist who is now so it's so ingrained that God sees and that God observes that he warns those that might think otherwise mm. about it. So do you want to read that for yeah, us? Yeah, so from verse 4, they pour out arrogant words, all the evildoers are full of boasting, they crush your people, Lord, they oppress your inheritance, they slay the widow and the foreigner, they murder the fatherless, they say, the Lord does not see, the God of Jacob takes no notice. Take notice, you senseless ones among the people, you fools. When will you become wise? Does he who fashioned the ear not hear? Does he who formed the eye not see? Does he who disciplines nations not punish? Does he who teaches mankind lack knowledge? Like 
it is just such a great passage as we think about the Wake whole. Wake up. God you know. sees. God hears. There's never yep. any – there's no doubt now, is there? Yep. There is absolutely nothing that is outside of the Lord's knowledge and um, care. Yeah. So, so – and then that same thing which in Psalm 94 is a challenge and a rebuke to those that think that they can oppress people and get away with it um, is now – Similar sort of language is used in famous Isaiah 40 where where they're reminded there as a message of comfort to go, don't think that you've been missed. As you suffer and as you feel oppression, don't feel like God doesn't see you. And so you get the, the, the famous, most famous section mm. really of, of this great chapter. Do you want to read for us? Yes, yeah, so from verse 20, 28. Do you not know, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth, he will not go tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths go try, grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. This is the God who sees, the God who... Who, who hears and the God who acts on behalf of 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 the weak and and the weary and and that's the that's the great um testimony about God is that God is the one who is not the one who is uh, rooting for the strong and mm. the powerful it, it turns the 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 desires and the aspirations of, of the world and their view of what is really significant that that the living God is the one who is aware of a of, a, of a, a weeping pregnant slave girl next to a well who isn't even going to be part of the main story yep. is, is not even the, the, the great, the, the going to be a super great one, but even with that, his eyes are on it. And so what do you expect you're going to see and hear from that God when he turns up and he actually steps into that world? What does he say? And we're going to finish with this, um, Matthew 11, 28, to 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So some of the most famous words of Jesus are, is a reminder that he is the one who... who um, is says come to me when you're weary and so so that that's that's the god that you get introduced to that aspect of god really turns up for the first time in a really obvious way in chapter 16 of genesis and it takes us to a wonderful place doesn't it it does indeed so i've been dave and i've been mandy thanks for joining us on sermon seasonings and we look forward to uh, speaking with you again next week when we look at a not so comforting passage as we see what happens to lot mm-hmm.